The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you can get podcasts. How do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Stack in the Box. I am Matt Verderam. We have a great show for you today. We'll lead by hitting on each matchup from last week, including a few teams that already look cooked. And we'll speak with Eric Edholm, formerly of Yahoo and current NFL scribe for FanRag Sports. We'll get his thoughts on a wide range of topics, including the Texans quarterback situation and Jared Goff. We also have a weekly dose of Josh Hill, who goes off the rails about fantasy football, who you should avoid, and who you should certainly pick up. And finally, are the Vikings going to contend in the NFC, or will they be out of the race come December? But let's start this week off with what we saw leading into and then over the weekend. And I want to just touch on each game briefly, and we'll start with Baltimore and Miami. If Jay Cutler stays upright, I like that offense. I don't think it's a top five offense, but I think it could be bordering on top 10. Adam Gase, of course, knows Jay Cutler, worked with him in Chicago. I think the only concern on that offense is the line, which struggled against Baltimore's first string. The Ravens do have a good front seven, in fact, a very good front seven. And it showed in that game that the Dolphins had a tough time keeping a good pocket and creating any running lanes. And so I think if Miami's going to struggle offensively, it's going to be because of that front. Um, For Baltimore, my takeaway from that game is simple. If Joe Flacco misses any regular season time, it's over because Ryan Mallett cannot play. They are limited offensively with Flacco, already a lot of injuries to that side of the ball. With Ryan Mallett, the Ravens should consider quick kicking on first down. He was 13 of 22, 113 yards, couple of picks. He didn't look good in the first preseason game against Washington. He hasn't looked good in practice. He had a meltdown a couple weeks ago. He threw five picks in practice. Uh, I don't understand if you're the Ravens, not to get on this subject, but why they don't look at Colin Kaepernick. He is so much better than Ryan Mallett. Colin Kaepernick, I believe, is a backup quarterback, pretty good one. He is Joe Montana compared to Ryan Mallett. So I don't understand why Baltimore is so hell-bent 
on pushing this narrative that Malik can play. If he has to play at all in a game that matters, give him an L. That even includes games against Cleveland, who, by the way, I think will be a little bit better this year. Another game I want to move on to from Thursday night, Bills at the Eagles. Buffalo is going to struggle offensively this season. They traded away Sammy Watkins. Anquan Bolden retired on Sunday night. Uh, their starting wide receivers right now are Zay Jones and Jordan Matthews. And that, that's not going to get it done. Like, I like Zay Jones as a, as a young kid, as a rookie here, but he, he is not ready to carry an offense. And Jordan Matthews, he's more a third receiver on a decent team. He is not a number one, which he's going to be asked to be on this team. He's not even a number two. The line, I think, is average. It struggled against the Eagles. Uh, Tyrod Taylor is going to suffer this year. He was 8 of 18 against Philadelphia, 53 yards, a couple of picks. Uh, he, he, I can't blame him for everything that went on in that game. You know, He did not play well, but he had no chance. Uh, the Eagles were in the backfield the entire game, which brings me to my point on Philadelphia. I think they could have a very good front seven. You're talking about Derek Barnett coming in, first-round pick, Brandon Graham, of course, Fletcher Cox. It's a big athletic front, and I think the defensive – coordinator there, Jim Schwartz. He's very creative with how he gets pressure. Uh, so I, I think you're going to see a lot of sacks in Philadelphia. But the offense right now is a problem. You watch that game. They could move the ball for a foot. And the one time they finally started to move at the end of the first quarter, LeGarrette Blunt fumbled in the red zone. By the way, speaking of LeGarrette Blunt, if you watch that game, and I don't know whether this is something that's going to continue going forward, if this was something the Eagles just wanted to try out, but they ran a ton of plays to the outside with Blunt, and that is not his strength. He is an anvil smash. You want him going downhill every time he has the ball. If he's running outside the tackles, it should be because he's bouncing it because there's not a hole. It should never be designed for him to go outside. And it was evident in that game because he does not have the speed, he couldn't get his hips turned, and... He lost yardage almost every single time he tried to go outside. So that would be something I'd be worried about. And with Wentz... Aw, you didn't have to go so all out for my birthday. Yes, we did. Because birthdays are about showing your friends how much you care for them and how grateful you are for their... This is Jamie from Progressive. No, this is a great time. Progressive protects you 24-7. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry that happened. <clears throat> Jamie. Can you hold on one second? Uh, I got to take this call, but remember, birthdays are about togetherness. Contact us 24-7 on the phone, online, or on the mobile app. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Covered subject to policy terms. He simply needs to stretch the field more. It's such a condensed game when you watch the Eagles offensively, and they brought in Torrey Smith for that purpose. I don't like the fit. I think Alshon Jeffrey's a better fit because he can do more things other than just run a nine route, which is what Torrey Smith's main strength is. But I'm not buying the Eagles right now offensively. The Eagles need to do much more because that defense, while I think it can be very good up front, it's got some struggles in the secondary. I do like Ronald Darby coming in. He had a pick, could have had a second one, went through his hands against Buffalo. Um, But it'll be interesting to see how how the Eagles play out. But that offense could hold them back a little bit. The third and final game on Thursday night was Tampa Bay and Jacksonville. You can't. Throw that ball. That's in a regular season game. It's one of the worst interceptions you'll ever see. Um, and speaking of interceptions and, and poor play, like Jacksonville, the takeaway from that game is obvious. Blake Bortles cannot start. I don't care. 
he was a first round pick, third overall. It's his fourth year. A couple of years ago, he had 4,400 yards. He is awful. His mechanics are terrible. He doesn't drive the ball well, despite having a pretty big arm. He doesn't make the proper reads often. He is a broken toy. I don't know if you could get him out of Jacksonville after this year when they certainly will decline his $19 million option. I don't know if at that juncture they can simply just say, hey, look, we're going to move on. And some team with a good quarterbacks coach or a good offensive coordinator tries to bring him in and make him a reclamation project. I think there's some talent, but he just looks so lost on that team. And I don't think Chad Henney's the answer. Chad Henney's never been the answer. I would start Brandon Allen. He's a young kid. He's got some rapport with D.D. Westbrook, who, by the way, looked really good. Wide receiver out of Oklahoma. He's a rookie. Had some off-the-field issues. Uh, he can play. I would give – if anything, I'd play Brandon Allen. What's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to be terrible? You're going to be terrible anyway. So that, that would be the way I would look at that if I'm Jacksonville. On Friday night, the only game of the week was Minnesota at Seattle. Uh, look, if Seattle can block, that's a terrific team. The defense can still play. It's a little older than it used to be, but they're still terrific. But the Seahawks did lose George Fant up front. Uh, left tackle, that's a crushing blow if you're the Seahawks. Look, that offensive line was terrible last year. They thought Fant would really help them out. Uh, and now he's gone for the year with a torn ACL. So that's a, that's a big-time blow a couple weeks out from the regular season. I do like Cason Williams at receiver for Seattle. I, he's going into a second year out of the University of Washington. I think he could be a really nice player. I'm not saying I think he's going to go for 1,000 yards, but I think he could be a really nice complement to Doug Baldwin on the near side of the field. So he's somebody to watch. Minnesota, I think they've got something in Dalvin Cook. There's no question about Cook's talent coming out of Florida State. The questions were about his character, and that's something that's going to be played out over a course of years. But talent-wise, Dalvin Cook is going to give them something that they haven't had in recent years with, with Peterson being injured and slowing down with his age. I think Cook really adds a dimension to that offense. I'm not huge on the outside weapons. Look, Stephon Diggs is a good, solid player. I think on a good team, he's a really good number two. Uh, but on this team, he's going to have to be a number one. Adam Thielen, again, I think more of a number two. Uh, you know, I, I do like Kyle Rudolph, tight end. He, he can play. If Sam Bradford can stay upright, and that offensive line can be better than it was last year, then I, I think you're looking at a potential wildcard team. I don't think they're good enough to take on the Packers. But I do think the Vikings could threaten with you know nine wins, maybe even ten. Uh, but there's a lot of... A lot of ifs with the Vikings, but there is talent there. Saturday afternoon, you had Carolina, Tennessee. Uh, look, you know, Carolina right now is impossible to grade because they don't have Cam Newton. But we'll say this. Christian McCaffrey, he looks legit, and Kelvin Benjamin looks like he lost the weight that he gained during the offseason. So I think you're happy about that. If you're the Panthers, the defense looked improved against Tennessee's offense. Now, Tennessee was without Murray. It was without Corey Davis, first-round pick, Eric Decker. As far as the Titans are concerned, they still moved the ball okay. Uh, it wasn't great. You know, Mariota was in there. He scored 10 first-quarter points. Some of that, though, coming off a red zone turnover from Carolina. Um, I think the big takeaway from the game was Mariota looked fully healed from his leg injury. He ran an option play, scrambled around a little bit. If Tennessee can stay healthy, that team's winning the AFC South, in my opinion. Uh, speaking of another AFC South team, Indianapolis at Dallas. Indianapolis is awful. That is a team that if Andrew Luck... God forbid he can't come back from the shoulder injury this year, you know, fully, or they simply just decide to sit him out a little longer and he's on the pup list. They will, they will not win a game without him. 
and, and I believe they played Cleveland in the first couple of games, they'll lose to Cleveland. They can't do anything. If Dallas would play them in a regular season game this year, they had scored 56 points on them. That game early on, Dak Prescott did whatever he wanted. They ran the ball however much they wanted. The Colts were absolutely punchless on both sides of the ball. T.Y. Hilton and Vontae Davis, when Andrew Luck's not in there, are the only two guys on that team that are even worth talking about. That is a rough roster. Meanwhile, the Cowboys, I think, look like they're in midseason form offensively. The offensive line looked terrific. I know it's the Colts' defense, but still blowing up with huge holes, great protection. Uh, and Prescott, listen, anybody who thinks that kid's a one-year wonder, they are lost. He can play. Made a beautiful back shoulder throw to Des Bryant, who I think is primed for a really nice year. Um, the Cowboys offensively look really good. Defensively, I think it's still a team that, that's going to struggle defensively. But I, I think the Cowboys are going to be right in the mix for a playoff spot again. Uh, could certainly get the double-digit wins and, and fight with the Giants and maybe the Eagles for the NFC East. Jets and the Lions, uh, look, not to beat a dead horse with the Jets, it's just a simple matter of they're, they're tanking whether or not they want to say they are. And this is a team that's going to be probably with the first overall pick in the draft. I don't, I don't think they win more than a game, maybe two. There's just not a lot of talent. Christian Hackenberg, I don't see it. I, I think there are glimmers of hope, but I think maybe as a backup, I don't think he's a starter. Um, of course, that's not what you want out of a second-round pick. I think the Lions could be better than some people think. Amir Abdullah was running well. He looked good. He looked healthy. Uh, you know you know what Matthew Stafford gives you. And defensively, look, the Lions have talent on all three levels. Ezekiel Ansah can play. Tahir Whitehead. Yeah, those guys can play. Darius Slay, good player. Uh, I think the Lions are going to be in the mix for a wild card. I don't think they're winning the division, but I think they're in the mix for a wild card. I think they're perhaps a nine-win team if things go right. Uh, New England at Houston, look, I, I thought there's nothing new to be. So we didn't learn anything about the Patriots. Uh, they look good. Tom Brady looked fine. Gronk looked healthy. Uh, we'll see if that can, that can last throughout the season. The pass rush is the one concern I have. They only had one sack in the game. Uh, and then Houston, like, we'll get into this more with, when Eric Edholm comes on in a few minutes, but they have to go with Tom Savage. Deshaun Watson, like he's the future. That's great. He's not ready right now. He's 3 of 10 in this game. He did have 102 yards, 63 or 4 of it came on a check down to the running back, Dante Freeman, uh, who looked good, by the way. But Houston, it, it's going to be Tom Savage. And I don't expect to see Deshaun Watson unless they fall out of playoff contention or Savage gets hurt. The Packers at the Redskins, I thought that Green Bay should be encouraged with its defense. They got some good pressure. And Josh Hawkins, second-year kid out of East Carolina, he looked good at corner. I liked what I saw out of him. He competes. He turns his head around, gets his hand in there. I think, I think Hawkins could be somebody who helps fix some of those secondary woes for the Packers. And on the flip side, Washington's offense. Look, I know they're missing Jordan Reed. I get it. Uh, he comes off the pup list, by the way, now, so he, he can get back into the swing of things. That offense was atrocious in that game. They couldn't block. Cousins looked lost multiple times. He was too slow in his reads. He was inaccurate. He could have thrown a couple of picks in the first quarter. The Redskins, you need to be better than that because that defense isn't holding people. That defense, Erden Josh Norman and, and Kerrigan, is suspected at, at the very least. So some real questions for the Redskins. I am not happy with what I see with them going into the season. Kansas City at Cincinnati, I thought Joe Mixon looked really shifty. Uh, he should be a guy who helps. He's a tremendous player. They add a top five defensive player in the league when he's healthy. 
He looks to be. So that's good news for your Chief fan. I also like Kareem Hunt. I think he's going to be the starting running back for that team alongside Spencer Ware. I think they split carries at first, and then Hunt gets more of the action. He was good in pass pro, which is something he wasn't at Toledo, so that, that's good to see. It looks like the rookie's moving along. And the quarterbacks both look really good. Alex Smith is going to be the starter. He dropped a dime 36-yarder to Travis Kelsey. It's a beautiful throw, uh, the kind of throw that Alex Smith typically doesn't make. And Patrick Mahomes, 10 of 14, 88 yards, a couple of touchdowns. Uh, he shows you everything you want to see. Uh, he really does look like the future, so I think the Chiefs should be should be good to go at that position for the first time, frankly, in a long time. Uh, Bears and the Cardinals. Mike Glennon looked very average, but that was a huge improvement over week one. I think the Bears have a nice stable of running backs, of course, led by Jordan Howard. Uh, and Trubisky looked solid in third-string action. He wasn't asked to do a lot, and he didn't do a lot, but he, he played well, and I think that's a step in the right direction for the kid out of North Carolina. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. With the Cardinals, my main takeaway is they got to run the ball better. 40 yards on 19 carries is terrible. Uh, the offensive line is the key for that team. If the offensive line can create some holes and block, I think the Cardinals get back to the playoffs this year. If, it, if it's a problem, Carson Palmer's not getting away from any rush. So I, th- that could be an issue, and maybe he doesn't stay upright for 16 games. So I want to see more out of the Cardinals' front. Denver and San Francisco, this one's easy. Trevor Simeon's a starter. Paxton Lynch he's going to have a hard time staying in the league after his rookie contract if he doesn't start to get much better. He does not go to reads. He misses wide open receivers. He runs too often when there are better options downfield. He's inaccurate. The list goes on. Paxton Lynch right now looks like a bust. It's two years in, but you're losing your job two years in a row to Trevor Simeon. Trevor Simeon, I think, is a really good backup quarterback. I think he's a competent fill-in starting quarterback. He's not a guy you want to start the season with. He's very limited. And by the way, and, and this isn't the pick on the man personally, C.J. Anderson needs to get in better shape. C.J. Anderson looks fat. He looks overweight, and you can see it when he plays. And it's been a problem. Denver internally has been concerned about his weight for years, and he looks like he's not in good shape. It's evident. So that, that's a problem. Um, I think Henderson's the best running back they have, honestly, and I, I would start him. I'd play him. San Francisco has real defensive talent. I think if that offense can be propped up at all by Shanahan, this team is going to be a little better than people think, but that's a big ask. I don't see a lot of talent offensively. Uh, So I do think the Niners will struggle, but that defense is going to keep them in some games. I really like the front seven especially. Uh, And the last game on Saturday, the Rams and the Raiders, Jared Goff, he, he took a little time getting through progressions. I still think he's got to speed his game up a little bit. But 16 to 20, he was much better. And I really like Gerald Everett, the tight end. Rookie tight end. He's an athletic guy. Kind of reminds me a little bit of a Jordan Reed, quick twitch athlete. I think he's going to help Goff quite a bit, given that security blanket. And, of course, Sammy Watkins, he'll stretch the field finally for that team. Uh, the Raiders' offense look great. But if that defense doesn't improve, that, they're going to struggle to win nine games. That defense is deplorable. Ken Norton Jr. has to get them to at least limit teams, hold them, do something, bend but don't break. The Rams, who do not have a great offense, 
moved up and down the field like it was a scrimmage and they were playing seven on seven. The Raiders couldn't do anything against them. That would be a major, major concern. And Jack Del Rio after the game called out the defense that they, they played like crap, and they did. They're going to need to be better or they are not going to win that division. That is a very good division. Sunday's games quickly, Atlanta, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh resting a lot of guys. Obviously, Bell's not there yet. Roethlisberger didn't play. I think Josh Dobbs is pretty evident. He's going to need some real time to develop, but that's okay. They knew that. Uh, and the Steelers are going to score a ton, but what is that secondary going to do? Because first string, second string, third string, there were huge throwing lanes. Guys were wide open for Atlanta. Uh, and as good as Pittsburgh is, if you can't cover, you're not beating New England come January. And let's be real, that's what the season's all about for them. Pittsburgh's season is about getting back to the AC Championship game and avenging that loss to New England. And if that team doesn't cover better, that's not happening. And there's a real chance they don't cover better. They won't even get back to that game. Um, Atlanta, the main takeaway is just speed. They're so fast, offensively, defensively. Steve Sarkeesian comes in, replaces Kyle Shanahan. He looks good. I think if you're the Falcons, you got to feel really happy, uh, feel really good about the, the way things are rolling for them. And then finally, the Saints and the Chargers. It was a backup fest. I think Alvin Kamara... He's a guy who should see some real playing time. The Saints did a nice job blocking up front. Ryan Ramshek looks like a good player. So that, that's great. The Saints might have a nice rookie class. The Chargers just have to have more cohesion offensively. Phillip Rivers didn't play in the game. Kellen Clemens did. He's not good. Uh, I don't think that's breaking news. The Chargers have talent galore at the skill positions. The question is going to be that offensive line because it was really bad on Sunday night. Now, there were some backups mixed in there. Russell Okung, Joe Barksdale, two tackles didn't play. But you got to get better there. Have to get better there. If that offensive line's not good, if there's one drawback with Phillip Rivers, he is not mobile and he does throw picks. And there will be a lot of sacks and a lot of picks if they can't block better than that because they were ugly in that game against a team that, let's be honest, no defense. So, got Cleveland and the Giants on Monday night. Of course, this is being recorded before that game. Look at Deshaun Kaiser, see what he can give you. And what can the Giants do with Eric Flowers at left tackle? He has been a disaster since being first round pick a couple years ago. That's what to watch on Monday. And that is uh, kind of going around the league with all that we saw in week two. And now to continue talking a little bit more of what we saw in the preseason and what we expect to see, bring in Eric Edholm. Eric, of course, working over at FanRag Sports, NFL freelance writer eric uh thanks for a few minutes oh thanks for having me appreciate it so i just want to dive right in it seems like everybody is on the titans bandwagon and i think for good reason very talented team people expect them to really make some noise i see a good solid 10 and 6 type team where do you stand on tennessee yeah i'm kind of in that same place and and you know i think at one point maybe as recently as a month ago i thought Maybe this is a pretty competitive division top to bottom, but with, you know, Blake Borrell struggling with, with Andrew Luck's health, the question, Ryan Kelly hurt, you know, I mean, I have enough doubt with those two teams now that I think I'm starting to bump up the Titans and the Texans. And I think those two feel like the two most uh, steady teams in that division. And, you know, I mean, everything seems to be pointing up for them. I mean, you know, the, the offensive identity is taking shape. Mariota could be in line for a breakout, you know, maybe the defense takes that that much needed step up. They've got some special teams juice with the Dory Jackson now. So, you know, the, the receiving depth is is there now. They get a little healthier. So, yeah, I, I like the direction. You know, I've never been the, the biggest Mike Malarkey fan in the world, but he's got the pieces to make a run this year. So, yeah, I think it's hard not to be a little bit on board with him at, at the very least. 
Yeah, you know, malarkey is something he, he holds me back a little bit too. I thought he did a good job with them last year. So, you know, maybe he's yep. getting better with the job. Uh, you know, but staying in the AFC side, you mentioned the Texans. And I've watched every play that Tom Savage and Deshaun Watson have been on, in on here these first two weeks. And to me, I think it's pretty evident they have to start Tom Savage, correct? It seems as though Deshaun Watson still needs some seasoning. Yeah, there, there may be a decision down the road. I think that's the way I'm leaning to. I mean, you know, it's hard not to get excited about Deshaun Watson's potential in the NFL. I mean, I think he has a chance to be a really good quarterback. Maybe not a special, you know, top five or ten quarterback in the league, but I think he can be really good. And and, and yet at the same time, to me, it just seems like Savage is the safer option at this point. I know the schedule, the first couple games isn't the most daunting, but – you know, you go to Foxborough, I think, in week three, and, and there's a couple of landmines along the way. And, you know, I think about where the Texans are, top five defense, you know, they, they look like they'll get some stability. They may have a better run game if Dante Foreman is, is running like he like he has in the preseason. And if they just make any improvement on special teams where they were so bad last year, I mean, they could be really good this year. That's the thing. And so you have to ask yourself where the trust level is. And I think it just lies a little bit more in the in the savage camp right now than with Watson. But at least you have two options. They haven't you know, they haven't really had one at, at times in the past. You know, if, if, if Watson sits and they start savage, and let's say he plays all 16 games this year, do you think that's a playoff team in the AFC? I, I, am I'm close on them being there. Yeah. Again, I just, I feel like they, they were, you know, they were right there last year with bad quarterback play. They won a game obviously in in the postseason. you know, they, they gave the the Patriots, you know, a, a tough time, you know, in that playoff game too. So I absolutely think they're in the mix and maybe there's some teams that come out of nowhere. It surprised us in the AFC, but because uh, it does feel like kind of an uneven conference a little. So there's always going to be those, you know, there's one or two teams and maybe the AFC West a little stronger. But I do. I, I think with steadier play there, they absolutely can be there, uh, the playoff team. You know, and last thing on that division, since we're just kind of going down the checklist, Jacksonville, I think, really is even more of a mess than I expected. You know, Every year it seems like they win free agency and then the season starts. And then you remember that they still have Blake Bortles. They yep. still can't seem to get anything going on the offensive side of the ball. The offensive line isn't that good. If you're the Jaguars with this quarterback situation, how do you handle Bortles, Henny, even Brandon Allen? I mean, my thinking is if if you don't feel like Bortles is a significant upgrade over Henny, and we know what Chad Henny is at this point in his career. You know, he's, he's firmly settled into that sort of backup role, et cetera. I mean, if you don't feel like Bortles is going to give you anything much more uh, than Henny would, I say make make Bortles your number three. Why risk him get hurt, getting hurt, and then have to pay him a nineteen million dollar guarantee for next season? It just doesn't. To me, it doesn't make much sense, especially with all the money they've spent in free agency. That's really going to kind of hinder them and 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 push them into a corner. So take the two thousand fifteen Redskins Robert Griffin the third approach, which is just. Sit him. And I mean, really, if you don't think you can make if he can recover from whatever this tailspin he's in, if he can be mentally strong enough to kind of pull himself out and physically good enough to, to perform on the field. You know, there's the rumors of the tired arm and all this stuff. And he got off to a bad start of camp, hasn't gotten any better. So 
you know, Brandon Allen at least has shown enough to me to, to, to take a look at some point. You know, I thought he was a pretty good college quarterback. And, you know, he's played well in mop-up time. Maybe he's worth developing as a backup. So, I, look, I don't think they're taking down either the Titans or the Texans this season. I don't think there's much to be gained. That's how I'd play it, I think, if I were the, the Jaguars and then reset for 2018. I agree. And truthfully, I think if they're not going to go with Bortles and if they don't think, as you said, and I agree again, if, if he's not significantly better than any other option they have, I would sit him. I wouldn't play him one down. You can't yep. risk if something happens. You need to owe him $19 million. I would go with Brandon Allen and just play him because Chad Henney's 32 years old. He's not your future. And yep. while Allen is probably also not your future – he might at least be some part of that equation. Maybe he turns into a Trevor Simeon, which, okay, look, he's not a great starter, but he's he's at least going to give you something. And if he's nothing, well, then at least you know you have nothing and you can move on and move forward. Um, but it, I want to see how they divvy up the reps, too, in this next preseason game. Does Allen get more? You know, do they – I feel like they know what they have in Chad Henney, right? It's not like we need to say some, to see some long look from him. So if Allen gets more, maybe, maybe you're – your, your thinking is, is more in line with what they might do. It's going to be fascinating to see. You know, for the team that is as talented as the Seahawks moving over now to the NFC side of the thing, I, I look at them on Friday night. I see a very talented offense. I see a defense, of course. We all know how good they are. But George Fant tearing his ACL, I just wonder how much of a pull that puts on this season. He, that offensive line was such a weak spot last year. And then – they expect big things out of Fant. Now, all of a sudden, that blind side is in flux. How much do you think that injury impacts their hopes of getting back to a Super Bowl? Well, first of all, some perspective. If you'd asked me this question in January, you know, like, is George Fant going to be, you know, the guy who whose losses most felt? I might have laughed at you, but given all the raving they did about him and to where he was pre-injury, you know, the fact that he seemed to take the, the biggest step out of any of those guys. We know Justin Britt's kind of established. The rest of the group is kind of a, a you know, a big question mark. But Fant was the guy that everybody up there was raving about and said, you know, he's our guy. And, and you know, we're going to put Luke at left guard and, and Fant's our left tackle. I mean, that was, a, that was a big statement. So for him to suffer that injury, that was a huge blow. And, you know, I didn't necessarily be watching him as a turnstile last year and, and struggle the way he did. It was unfair, first of all, for them to put him in that position. But you did feel like, okay, they're going to they're gonna put him in there, let him suffer some blows and see how he responds. And he responded great. It's just too bad that it, the injury happened when it did. So, yeah, it's a big blow. They at least have a few weeks to kind of settle things out a little bit. You know, and I know they've preached flexibility up there. Guys being able to play multiple positions and everything, but I just feel like this is a game of musical chairs. There's going to be at least one, you know, one spot where you're you're really hurting at. It's been that way now for three, four years. I feel like I, I just I, I have a hard time seeing them coming up with a capable five that are going to be considered even an average group or an above average group. I, it's going to be tough. Yeah, you know that team. If they just had a competent offensive line, I think, I they'd, be the, I I think they'd be the favorite to go to the Super Bowl. I, I, I'm right there with you. I'm them and the Packers and a few other teams. I think you just if you if you just ugh, you know if you could just sort of put that thing together on the old line up there, that 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 would make me think about them very hard as a, as a Super Bowl contender. I doubt they'd be able to do it. I'd call the Bills and ask them what they want for Cordy Glenn. 
Yeah. I mean, the Bills hey, are in look, total rebuild mode. Why not? Absolutely. I mean, Glenn's, you know, and I know that's not exactly how they've how they've done things, but yeah, I would consider it. And and you you had all those second and third round draft picks the last couple of years that you've already spent on your roster. You know, if you give up a draft pick next year, what are you really mortgaging? You know, what are you really giving up? So I, I don't mind the idea, even with a roster that's aging in a few spots. I don't mind the idea because if you see that Super Bowl window and you feel like it's tangible, you got to go for it, I think. So I, I, I like something you probably do know. Progressive can not only offer you a great price when you bundle home and auto, they offer you round the clock protection. Something you probably don't know? The average garage door is made up of 1.3 millimeter aluminum panels. Something you probably do know? Your neighbor likes to tinker with his dirt bike. Something you probably don't know? A runaway dirt bike can take out your garage door and a good portion of your car bumper. Bundle your home and auto with Progressive and get more than a great price. Get round-the-clock protection. Something you know for the things you don't know. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. The idea. The only benefit... The only saving grace, I guess, really, I should say, is that Russell Wilson can get the hell out of that pocket. Because if, <laughs> if they had if they had Carson Palmer back there, it would be over. He would make it through Halloween. Uh, you know, and, and staying in that division, what did you make of Jared, Scott, Jared Goff's performance against Oakland? I thought he played well. He, he really showed me some progression from what we saw last year, which was a guy who lost a lot of times in that offense. Now, that being said... Oakland's defense is pretty terrible. So was yeah. it more about golf for you or was it more about the Raiders? Yeah. I mean, obviously the, the, the touchdown, the, there was that blown coverage there. It looked like, you know, some a more communication errors in that, in that Oakland secondary that they've got to get ironed out. But back to your question, it was exciting. I mean, they, they clearly had some, some really interesting play calling, you know, they got, you know, Cooper Cup is, is a great story. They've gotten Everett involved now in his first action. You know, Watkins was out there blocking. I mean, so there's some exciting stuff happening around him. You know, it looks like the, the Whitworth experiment is going to work, at least in the short term. I mean, he looked great out there, too. But it was good to see Jared Goff get in a rhythm, look comfortable, make some some throws, not just the kind of short dump off stuff. There was some of that, but there was also some NFL type throws in there that we needed to see. And you know, I was I was part of the chorus that was surprised that that Goff would only get the one series in the opener. So for him to come back and get a little extended action, you know, get into a flow, and, and you could see McVeigh kind of get the 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 play calling wheels cranked up a little bit, and, and just gives us a taste of what they might be this season. They're not going to be a perfect offense, but you know, if, if Wade Phillips' defense is good and the special teams are are pretty capable. You know, this might be a team that, that sneaks up on a few people this season. I don't think they're going to be a contender this year, but I wouldn't be surprised if they are the type of team that wins some, some close games and loses some close games. And by season's end, we're actually kind of giving them, you know, their, their due and say, hey, you know, the Rams might be a team on the come for 2018, et cetera. So, yeah, I liked what I saw out of Goff in that, uh, in that last game. And you mentioned them, and I mentioned them actually before in the lead, and I really like Gerald Everett. I think – He's got some real ability. He's fast. He's a good athlete at that position. And he's going to give them something that, frankly, they have not had at that position in forever. Yeah. I, the, the one physical question about him I had with the hand size, right? He came out of this little, you know, tiny Smurf hands or whatever. But, but I mean, you saw it in college. You, you saw it out there at the Senior Bowl. You saw the kind of 
you know, yards after the catch ability, the kind of wide receiver skills in a, in a small tight ends body, which is, I think, where the NFL has been going now for a couple of years, get those kind of athletes out there. And that's that's exciting stuff. I don't know that he's Jordan Reed yet. Let's not jump ahead like like everybody else seems to be doing. But he's a he's a little chess piece that you can move around and 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 do some different things with. And, and maybe he starts out as a chain mover, but, you know, he's he's got a little juice in those legs. So I like him as a player. Now, last thing for me, Eric, on this, I'll let you get out of here. Anquan Bolden, he retires on Sunday night, finishes his career ninth all-time in receptions, 14th yeah. all-time in receiving yards. What are your thoughts on his career, and do you think he winds up in Canton? I think he's got to be in the discussion. Um, I know that's a position that has posed some issues in the past. Now, they've gotten a little more you know, liberal in terms of opening it up for, for receivers to get in. Um, but if Terrell Owens is still, <laughs> it seems crazy to think that, that, that he had have trouble getting in, at least from my perspective, I think whatever you want about T.O. as a guy, he was a hall of fame receiver. I don't care what anyone says. I believe it. You know, the, the, the stats bear it out. Everyone saw the ability he had. If he's struggling to get in, I don't think we're putting Anquan Bolden in tomorrow. You know, obviously you got to wait the five years and everything, but just look at his complete package. He was a bigger guy. He was a yards after the catch threat. He was a great blocker, as strong, as physically imposing as they come. Um, he was a leader. He just had so many intangibles along with the stats. You know, he played as a compliment as well as a lead guy. I just I just thought he was kind of a, a unique talent and, and a really special player for a long time. And look what he did last season. I mean, he kind of glued that group together in Detroit. He scored a lot of touchdowns. He was Good right up until the end. And uh, I don't know that one more year would have made a difference, but I, I think he absolutely has to be in the discussion. I think he's the toughest receiver of his <laughs> era alongside C. Smith. People forget that game, I believe, against the Jets and the Meadowlands. He broke his face and played three yes. weeks later. Yeah. Damn. I mean, that just – he almost broke my hand the first time I shook his. I mean, I was like – you know, I thought Adrian Peterson had a, a firm handshake, and then I sh- shook Anquan Bolden's hand one time and thought, well, I don't want to do that again. I mean, that, that just showed you how strong he was. Those hands were like vice grips. Eric, thanks a lot for your time, man. Really appreciate it. Hopefully we'll catch up with you soon. Sounds good. Pleasure's mine, man. So once again, we thank Eric. A terrific job. Really check out all of his stuff at FanRag and follow him on Twitter at Eric at home. He's a tremendous follow, covers the league, has inside knowledge of a lot of things going on. So definitely somebody that's worth a listen to anytime you can hear him and worth a read anytime he decides to put pen on paper or finger to keyboard. That being said, we pivot a little bit now. We go to our weekly Dying on This Hill segment with Fanside NFL editor Josh Hill. And this time, a little bit different, a little fantasy football take. So what do you got? Well, you know, fantasy football is probably the most one of the most popular reasons people watch football casually. And but not everybody knows how to play fantasy football well. Uh, I know you don't play fantasy football, Matt, but there's a lot of people out there that think they know what they're talking about, and we're here to make sure that they don't go and spend money and donate it to their leagues. Instead, you want to go in there and win. So sleepers are always a big thing that's something that everybody always pays attention to and then draft busts guys that you're not going to want to draft or you're going to want to stay away from or most importantly don't reach for that's the thing that people do we see it in the nfl draft all the time you get hot about a guy he's got a lot of buzz and then you reach for him a little bit too high and then you're stuck with them teams 
you know, in the NFL, have years to let a guy pan out. Fantasy football, not so much. You're making a donation to your league. So uh, I guess the first guy that we can dig in with the sleepers on, Corey Coleman in Cleveland. Uh, you know, he's the longest tenured Browns wide receiver at this point. He's poised for a breakout year. You know, you know Kenny Britt, he's coming in. He's going to be a nice compliment. You could have a nice one-two punch going there. He had an all right rookie season, got hurt, wasn't able really to capitalize on his full potential. Brock Osweiler, Deshaun Kaiser, whoever's throwing him the ball, he's going to be really big in PPR leagues, which is, you know, he got 73 targets last year in 10 games. The thing about him, though, is he's going to get plenty of opportunities. And the Browns, like you've been saying for a couple of weeks now, they're starting to look like they're not going to be a bad team. So now is the time to jump on the Corey Coleman train before it's too late. I'll amend that. I, I, I still think they're a bad team, but I think they're a better team. And I do think they can win five or six games, which for them would be a huge improvement after going 1-15. As far as Coleman goes, you mentioned the 10 games last year, 413 yards, three touchdowns. It's not unreasonable to think that he, he should have a much better stat line this year if he plays all 16 games. You know, his year started off a little bit inauspiciously. He fell on a football and got hurt. But the, the man's back in action. Uh, you know, last year he did have a game against Baltimore. He had five catches, 104 yards, a couple of touchdowns down the stretch. Uh, he was quiet. But you know, you're talking about a sleeper. He is a guy who's interesting because if they start Kaiser, Kaiser has shown a propensity in college and even early in the preseason to go down the field. Oh, yeah, and then there was a couple of games, too, where I think he had catches of over 40 yards, which, you know, is always going to be good in fantasy. But the PPR, that's going to be a big play right there with Corey Coleman. And another receiver, if you go a little further west, Pierre Garçon. Now, I don't think that the 49ers are going to be a good team. I think that they're going to be a terrible team, actually, in Shanahan's first season. But if there's one saving grace, uh, historically, the number one wide receivers for Kyle Shanahan have done really well. It's easy to say because the last couple of years it's been Julio Jones, who's arguably the best receiver in football. But there's a reason why he was being utilized so well, and that was Kyle Shanahan. You take a look at Andre Johnson in 2008 and 2009. He had over 170 targets in both of those years, and they were two of his greatest seasons that he's ever had. In Cleveland, he made Andrew Hawkins a household name who went out and got a big free agent contract inexplicably. But that was because Kyle Shanahan was utilizing him in the offense. And he's worked with Pierre Garçon before in Washington. So there's that repertoire already that they have installed. I'm not saying that he's going to be a top wide receiver in the league, but he's a guy that you're going to want to scoop up, especially if you're getting into your wide receiver three range. And there's guys, you know, like a Sammy Watkins who's out there or somebody who might be tempting. Don't go that way. Pierre Garçon, he looks like he's going to have a big year. And who else are they going to throw the football to? That's the other thing. Well, that's where I agree with you. I, I think they just don't have anybody else to give the ball to. And, you know, listen, one thing with Garçon, last four years, he's played all 16 games each year. He had 1,000 yards last year. Back in 2013, had his best year with over 1,300 yards. He's a guy who, I, I agree, look, he could be somebody who gives you something as like a third option, a guy you start in a bye week, you know, maybe put in a flex, if you need to start in a flex. But I, I agree that in Washington, he was their third option behind Jordan Reed and Deshaun Jackson last year, still at 1,000 yards. In San Francisco, he's going to be the number one option because they simply just don't have a lot of other guys that they could utilize. Uh, moving on to a quarterback here, and I don't know why. I mean, it, this has always been a mystery to me as, as to why Eli Manning is back and forth, hot and cold as far as a guy that nobody wants to really pay attention to, and then all of a sudden he'll have a good year and he wins the Super Bowl. I think 
Uh, this year, he's poised to have a bit of a bounce back year. His touchdowns were down last year, so that's why he's getting some fantasy knocks. But you've got Odell Beckham, Sterling Shepard, Brandon Marshall's there, Evan Ingram. You've got a solid running game. The offensive line is, it's got questions, but it's not terrible. You know? And plus, he's Eli Manning. He was a 4,000-yard passer last year. And he's, he's just, I don't understand why people doubt Eli Manning. It seems that, I, I get why, because sometimes he throws too many interceptions, if he can get that under control. But it seems like every time we start forgetting that Eli Manning is a really good quarterback, he answers by winning the Super Bowl. I don't think he's going to do that this year, but I think, you know, he's not in the conversation with Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Ben Roethlisberger, who I think might be a bust this year, as far as being a top fantasy quarterback. And this year, if you're going to take a chance on Eli Manning, take a chance on him this year. I, I think that's fair. You know, they, obviously the weapons, Sterling Shepard, Brandon Marshall comes over from the Jets via free agency, and of course Odell Beckham, and even Evan Ingram, who was a first-round pick. And I think there's a lot of expectations that he's going to factor in. I think you hit the nail on the head, though. The reason people are so hesitant with him is because he throws a lot of picks. There's a lot of turnovers. Last year, he had 16 picks, seven fumbles. It's incredible when you look at his career. He's thrown 320 touchdowns, but he has 215 picks and 79 fumbles, which in this day and age is unheard of. Back in the day, that'd be a great ratio. Um, But you're right. Look, The last three years, he's thrown for at least 4,000 yards. He's fairly accurate. I think I think he's a guy who is a bottom tier number one quarterback, but he'd be a damn good guy to have as a number two. And so, yeah, look, he's 36 years old. But one thing about Eli Manning, he does not miss games. He has never missed a start due to injury. And uh, going back to the running back position in Minnesota, you kind of touched on them a little bit earlier. But Dalvin Cook is almost a, I don't want to say forgotten man in this running back class, but everybody's talking about Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey, and those are going to be really hot fantasy names to go after. But Dalvin Cook, there's a reason that he was being considered a top 20 pick at one point in time. And like you said, it's not because it was on the field issues. It was all off the field issues for Dalvin Cook. You take a look at what's going on in Minnesota. They've got a void left by Adrian Peterson. They're looking for a big back to fill it. He's not physically big back, but he's got, you know, the physique to be a really quick, shifty runner. Uh, Latavius Murray, he's already hurt. You've got Jarek McKinnon's there. He's not really going to be a guy that you're going to start over Dalvin Cook. The job, the consensus has been that it's Dalvin Cook's job at some point this season. It's just now that timeline is a little sped up. Now we're going to see him absorb that role quicker. He's a pass-catching running back, so that works really well for Sam Bradford. You know, he loves to check down, like his ACLs depend on it because they do. That's going to be big. So Dalvin Cook, don't be upset if Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey are gone and if you're looking for a rookie running back because he's going to have a pretty decent year this year. I, I agree with you with Cook. Of all the guys you've mentioned, I like him the most as far as his fantasy value. That's a team that I think is a little better than people think. They started out hot last year. They fell apart down the stretch. I think Zimmer will have them uh, ready to roll uh, coming out of the gate. And look, Cook at Florida State – now, obviously, that's a big-time school, face big-time competition. He averaged over 1,700 rushing yards per season over the last two years, scored 38 touchdowns on the ground in that time. And one thing he gives you, too, he can catch the ball. Last year at, at, with the Seminoles, 33 catches, 488 yards. He, over the course of his three-year career there, had 79 grabs. So he's somebody who gives you a little bit of that, too, if you're in a PPR league. I, I think he does add some value Um Now, on the flip side of that, who do you have as guys to avoid? 
Uh, you're going to like this one. Melvin Gordon, San Diego Chargers. Or Los Angeles Chargers, I guess. He's going to be, I think he left his game in San Diego. The thing about San, uh, the Chargers is that they're just, I don't know what that offense is going to be. They're, you know, the wide receiver situation is what it is. Uh, Phillip Rivers, he's going to be a gunslinger. He's getting it in there, but they've never really been a running team. You know, not since... Love getting prices that are lower than low on food that's fresher than fresh? Then shop at Kroger. We give you more ways to save on the fresh you love with tools like the Kroger app, where you can find personalized coupons on top of weekly sales, giving you prices that are lower than the everyday low. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Sladanian Tomlinson, have they really had a powerful running game? And Melvin Gordon had a good season last year, but there's questions about the offensive line. There's questions about maybe his durability. Is he going to be able to stay healthy? You know, he did have a pretty good year last year as far as his yards were concerned, but he ranked 28th in yards per average among uh, running backs that had over 100 carries. That's not necessarily good. So Melvin Gordon, there are other running back options. He feels a lot to me like Todd Gurley last year where everybody was on the Todd Gurley hype train. He's going to be good. You got to draft him high, and everybody drafted him high, and it turns out that the Rams weren't a good offensive team. I think you're going to have the same situation with Melvin Gordon this year. Well, you have a few concerns. Look, I actually really like Gordon as a player. The, the problem you have is they can't block anybody. Mm-hmm. And so that's where you get into, does he just not have rushing lanes? Are they in situations where they're behind? If you, you know, there's a lot of opinions on the Chargers, whether they're good or not, but th- that's something that's going to be talked about. If you don't think they're going to be good, well, then you really run into the situation where they've got to be throwing the ball. He is a good receiver out of the backfield, had 41 catches last year, a couple touchdowns. He ran for 10 touchdowns last year, but he only rushed for 3.9 yards a carry, which is very average. And so I don't know if he's the kind of guy you look at and say he's a running back one, maybe he's more of a two. Uh, I think there's a lot, though, that you have to be worried about if you're an owner of Melvin Gordon or if you draft Melvin Gordon. One note, though, he's from Kenosha, Wisconsin. Kenosha, the only place I can find around here in the Midwest that is home to the garbage plate, which is a food uh, delicacy that I'll let everybody Google. But it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It also has about 9,000 calories. But good for Kenosha for, uh, for helping everybody out. Yeah, that's my closing argument on Melvin Gordon. He's from Wisconsin, went to Wisconsin. There's lots of Wisconsin there, so watch out for that. But keeping it in California with another running back issue, I don't know if you should necessarily avoid, but do, do not reach for him. Marshawn Lynch. We had a conversation in the very first Dying on the Hill about Adrian Peterson and how he's a guy who's over the hill. He's not going to be what he used to be. Don't expect him to have a very productive year. I think that Marshawn Lynch is a lot of the same thing. You know, his last season that he played, he only had 417 yards on 111 attempts, and that was two years ago. You're assuming that in the off time, in him not playing football, he's somehow gotten better. I don't think that's going to be the case. He's not a number one running back. He's going to be a goal line vulture. He's going to be a guy who's going to come in when they get down into the red zone, and he's going to get you touchdowns there. But then you're assuming that Derek Carr isn't going to be able to score through the receiving game, which you really have to wonder if that's going to be the case because he looks looks to be in line to have a really good year. But, you know, Marshawn Lynch... Don't be tempted to reach for him if he's there on your draft board too early. I would say anything beyond the second or third round because he's not going to be, you know, this beast mode is beast mode, but that was in the past. 
Yeah, I agree with you with Lynch. Uh, even, frankly, more so than Gordon. I think Gordon could have a really nice year. I, I think with Lynch, look, the last time we saw him was 2015. He didn't play at all last year. Of course, he was retired. And people say, well, in 2015, he got hurt. And that's fair. But he also played seven games. He played half a year, and he rushed for 3.8 yards a carry. And the Raiders have a very good offensive line, but that is going to be a team that throws the ball first. I think it's a team that has a defense that's going to require them to throw the ball a lot because they're going to have to score points and score points quickly to keep up with what their defense is allowing. I think Lynch is a good player at this point, but he's 31 years old. Running backs typically don't age well. If you want to have him on the bench, even as maybe an RB2, I think that's fair. But I would, I would be very nervous if he's my top running back in fantasy. Uh, another guy who I'm not sure if you should reach for is a guy who used to be actually a really popular pick, Rob Gronkowski. Uh, he was, there was a brief period of time where he was a lock. He was a first-round guy. He was the guy that you wanted to get because you knew that Tom Brady was going to throw to him. Tom Brady is now 40 years old. He's going to fall off the cliff eventually. Maybe it's not this year. But something that's not helping Rob Gronkowski is the tight end position has gotten better league-wide. You've got Travis Kelsey, Jordan Reed, Greg Olson you can make an argument for. All of those guys are now too close to call when it comes to comparing them to Rob Gronkowski. There's a lot of mouths to feed in New England now. Don't forget that they added Brandon Cooks, who's supposed to have a breakout year with Tom Brady. Julian Edelman's still there. Danny Amendola is still there. Chris Hogan is there. You've got whatever's going on in that running back by committee. I'm not saying that the era of Rob Gronkowski is over. I think he's going to be a really good player still. I'm not saying he's falling off. But fantasy-wise, he's not the lock that he used to be. Don't reach for him. Don't go for him if there's other players there available because you know that Kelsey, Olsen, Reed, they're going to be there later, and they're almost just as good at this point. Yeah, I find it very interesting, too. And You you mentioned so many mouths to feed. Last year he played in eight games. He was targeted 38 times. The two years prior to that, he played 15 games in both the years, had 130 and 120 targets respectively. So he was on pace last year for 76 targets. Now, a couple of those games he left early, you could say, well, maybe he would have been targeted 90 times. Okay, even if that's the case, that's a steep drop-off. And with Gronkowski, look, only two of his last five years has he had in a 1,000-yard season. He's, he's not played a full season since 2011 when he, when he broke out with over 1,300 yards, 17 touchdowns. When he's healthy... He's maybe the most devastating weapon in the league in terms of tight ends. I don't think there's anybody like him, but I think you're right. Look, Travis Kelsey at this point is a safer option, especially with Alex Smith. You know the ball is going to be going to the tight end. Jordan Reed, he's an injury risk sometimes, but yes, uh, he is a phenomenal talent. And there's just there's better value deeper down the board for some of these tight ends. With Gronk, because of his name, you're going to have to overdraft him to get him. Another guy that might suffer from the too many miles to feed syndrome is Ty Montgomery who last year was a really popular pick late in the year because he had that whole thing where he was switching to running back and he was eligible at two different positions and he had the flex option he's in Aaron Rodgers offense which is always attractive but again there's a lot of mouths to feed in Green Bay and we talked about a guy a couple weeks ago Martellus Bennett who's now there I don't think he's going to have a great year but he's going to get the ball he's going to get targets and then you got to think, what is Ty Montgomery in the backfield? Jamal Williams might be a better option to take because the Packers, they're drafting running backs knowing that Ty Montgomery is not the guy that they're going to want coming out of the backfield. I'm not saying that he's going to have a bad year. I'm saying that you're not going to want to take him too high. And I would almost say, if you're looking at your wide receivers, and Ty Montgomery is high on your board, 
you got to, you know, stop reading the magazine or the website or whatever you're looking at because he's not going to be the guy that he was last year. He was a big pick because that Packers offense adapted late in the year to not having the skills that he had, and then he filled a hole. And you look at guys, too, historically in the Packers offense, they have ups and downs. It's peaks and valleys as far as who Aaron Rodgers wants to throw to because he doesn't have a favorite target. Randall Cobb, two years ago, really great year. Last year, fell off a cliff. Jordy Nelson, really great year, albeit he got hurt the year after that, didn't have a good year. So there's this history of Green Bay Packers, wide receivers, running backs, whatever you want to call Montgomery, not having consistency. And I think that if you're looking at what he was late in the year last year as far as a hype guy, don't expect that to continue on into this season. Yeah, we're, we're on the same wavelength with Montgomery. I feel like he's not going to be a factor as a receiver fantasy-wise because he's probably fourth on the depth chart. And Yad Martell is Bennett, who's going to be another guy who's going to be getting the ball. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, look, everybody's going to point and say 5.9 yards per carry. That's fine and well. If the Packers believed in Ty Montgomery to be the future, they would not have gone out and drafted three running backs. Mm-hmm. So, look, Montgomery's a guy who I would steer clear of. I don't think you're going to get the value you're looking for. I know some people say, well, he's a running back who gives you receiving as well. A lot of receivers out of the backfield, or a lot of running backs out of the backfield are good receivers. So, I think Montgomery is a, is a wasted pick, and you know, maybe he proves us wrong and goes crazy this year, but I, I don't see it considering the way the Packers treated the draft. And we'll get out of here on this one, which maybe is a bit of a controversial pick, but I think that Des Bryant is not a guy that you're going to take high in your draft. And if you take Des Bryant high in the draft, you're betting on two things. You're betting on him staying healthy, which he didn't do last year, which is why he had a down year in production. And two, you're betting on Ezekiel Elliott being out for an extended period of time and not factoring into this offense, which actually breaks down into two different things because this was a run-first team last year with Ezekiel Elliott. That's why they were so successful, and that's why Dak Prescott looked so good. Now, he's looked good in the preseason. You know, the last most recent preseason game that they played, he looked pretty decent. He was connecting with his receivers. So there's hope for that he's going to be the guy that everybody wants him to be in, this, in his second year. But with Des Bryant... There's this, you know, this isn't 2015. It's the death of the number one wide receiver in fantasy has already happened. There's so many guys on that team. There's so many guys throughout the league who, you know, need to be fed the ball. You got Cole Beasley there. You've got some rookies that are coming in. There's other guys on this Cowboys offense that Dak Prescott, if he needs to throw, which he'll need to do if Zeke Elliott's not playing, they're going to get the ball. And Des Bryant, while he's a good red zone threat, it feels kind of like the Marshawn Lynch element where, you know, are you betting all of your chips on him getting the red zone targets the way that Marshawn Lynch would be getting the goal line vultures? I don't know if that's worth it. And it's definitely not worth being a top five fantasy wide receiver. Well, this is, this is one we'll, we'll disagree on. I think, I think this Bryant is going to be uh, a very good player for Dallas this year, although I, I will concur on yes, stay healthy. He's only played 22 games over the last two years, not near enough. If, if he stays healthy, I think I think the Cowboys are going to be feeding him the ball plenty, uh, especially if Elliott's out for six games. Then I, I just think by necessity he's going to be getting the ball more and more. Plus, I don't think that defense is nearly as good this year, and so therefore I think they're going to be putting the ball up a little bit more. But uh, we're going to find out. We're going to find out. I'm with you on most of them, but Dez, I will – if we have a fan side of Fantasy League, I'll, I'll take Des. I'll roll the dice. 
Well, yeah, and that's the thing, too, because you're betting on whether or not Dak Prescott's going to be coming along in his development, which he very well may be. But the idea that you're taking Zeke Elliott out of that Cowboys offense, you're taking away a dimension. So you know that, you know, I know, you know, and everybody else knows that Des Bryant's going to be getting the ball more. So all of a sudden, defensive coordinators are not going to go, oh, well, we're forgetting about Des Bryant. They're going to focus on Des Bryant like they were a couple of years ago. And that's when Tony Romo was the quarterback. And he's, you know, a seasoned veteran. So you're betting on Dak Prescott being a guy who can go in there, get the job done, and play like a veteran in his second year. Maybe he'll be able to do that. I'm not sure. But if I'm between Des Bryant or picking another guy like maybe a Michael Thomas who has a more seasoned veteran quarterback who's kind of in the same position, I might err on that side rather than gambling on Des Bryant, who I do think is a a very, very good receiver. And maybe he does have a bounce back year and proves everybody wrong, mostly me here. But I'm just, I'm not sold on that because I'm not sold on Dak Prescott the way a lot of other people are. Well, fair enough. It's a hill to die on, as always. Uh, appreciate you coming on and giving your insight. A couple weeks from now, we're going to start to see whether Josh Hill is genius or if he's fool. And either way, it's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. Of course, Josh joins us every single week, and we appreciate it. And now, quickly, I'll go into my parting shot. Uh, this podcast running a little bit longer than usual, so going to wrap up. But I wanted to get to the Minnesota Vikings. Talked a little bit about them earlier, and the Vikings are a team that fascinate me. I don't think they're as good as the Packers. I think the Packers are going to win the North. I think they're going to win it by a couple of games. When you have Aaron Rodgers, you just have such an advantage over the rest of the league. And I know the Vikings won the division a few years ago. I get that. But the Packers are better than they were a few years ago. The roster is more complete. And I think the Vikings have some real issues in a couple of areas, mostly that offensive line. Now, the offensive line last year was an utter catastrophe to the point that Sam Bradford had no opportunity to throw the ball down the field. Sam Bradford typically doesn't throw the ball down the field, but last year there was no hope of that happening. And when you look at his numbers, he averaged seven yards per attempt, which on the surface you say, okay, not all that bad. But in an offense as as Minnesota's is, it's even more impressive, that seven yards, because they don't have the quintessential deep threat. Sure, Stephon Diggs is, is a good player, but he's not somebody who's a burner like a Mike Wallace, like a Torrey Smith. You know, he's, he's more of a, a Jeremy Macklin type, which is to say that he can get deep, but he offers you a lot of the same qualities a possession receiver does, and I think that's really what Diggs is. And so... That's seven yards per attempt for Bradford, to me, is actually impressive. It ranks 19th overall. I think most people would have thought they'd be toward the bottom of the league in that last year, especially considering the immediate pressure that Bradford faced almost every time he dropped back. Now, they had Riley Reef at left tackle this year. He slides in alongside next to Alex Boone. The left side of the line is good. Reef's not an all-pro player. He's not even a pro ball player, but he's an upgrade at that spot over Khalil, who left for Carolina. My big concern is from center over. Mike Remmers is a very, very average right tackle. And then the inside, Pat Elfline, I think, is a, is a rookie who could give him something. 
you know, maybe he's the center of the future for them, and that maybe that fixes some issues. T.J. Clemmings drafted a couple of years ago. I don't think you can play him. He, he is not. Progressive presents forced metaphors about bundling your home auto and other vehicles. In hockey, it's the goalie's job to protect the net. And in life, your net is your home and auto, but also your boat, motorcycle, RV, or ATV. And your goalie is the round-the-clock protection offered by Progressive Insurance. Well, and also the savings you get when you bundle. So in this metaphor, you have two goalies, which is okay because, you know, it's just a metaphor. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. Not good enough to see the field right now. And so, you know, Joe Berger, he's in the mix. What do you do there? I like Dalvin Cook as the running back, and we've talked about him earlier in the, in the show. Look, Dalvin Cook is a good player. And I think he's somebody who can come in and be a 1,000-yard guy immediately, but he's going to need some help up front. And I don't know if he gets it. And that's why I think the Vikings are such an interesting team. Because if that offensive line is good, that offense has some players on it. Stephon Diggs can play. Adam Thielen, he's a good, solid number two receiver. I want to see Diggs, though, take that next step. You look at him last year, 84 catches, 903 yards. And that speaks, again, to that he's not a big burner. He's not a big deep threat. In fact, he didn't have one catch over 46 yards. So that's something that, needs to be factored in. They need to get something out of Laquan Treadwell. First-round pick last year, he had one catch for 15 yards last season. Treadwell needs to be a factor. You lose Corderell Patterson. Treadwell has to at least become one of the top three receivers. Really, I'd like to see him bump his way into the top two. Kyle Rudolph is a good tight end. Seven touchdowns last year, 840 yards. So he at least gives you that down-the-seam threat. He's a good athlete, a big target. If the offensive line can just hold up and provide some running lanes and give Bradford a couple seconds to throw, I think all of a sudden that offense goes from very mediocre to pretty good. You look at Bradford's numbers last year, he completed 71.6% of his throws. That's saying, I mean, that is big time. I don't care who you are. I don't care who you're throwing to, if it's short, if it's long. 71.6. That's talking. Minnesota led the league last year in completion percentage. So it's not a problem of accuracy with Bradford. He only had five picks. It's not a problem of turning the ball over. With Bradford, it's always been about staying healthy and getting him some players around him. He's never had a good receiving core to work with, and I still have questions about this one. But I do think if he's afforded the time, he can give you something. Last year, the Vikings rushed for 3.2 yards per carry. That is ridiculously bad. And that's on the offensive line and a lack of talent at at the running back position. I think they fixed the latter with Cook, but you've got to be better creating some kind of push up front, 3.2, dead last in the league. Now, you say, why are you high on the Vikings? Why could you be high on the Vikings with that kind of an offense? It doesn't inspire confidence. Well, the defense certainly does. 41 sacks last year as a unit, and Danielle Hunter, nobody talks about him. He is 22 years old, and in his second year last year, 12 and a half sacks. He is a Damn good defensive end. You factor in other guys like Linville Joseph up front. 
You got Xavier Rhodes in the back. Of course, Everson Griffin also up in the front. Trey Waynes, he played better last year. Anthony Barr, only two sacks last year. You'd like to see Barr do a little bit more. So far, three years, only nine and a half sacks. But the athleticism is there. But you got to see it. This is a make or break it year for Anthony Barr. But I really like this defense. Harrison Smith is one of the best players in football that nobody talks about. Eric Kendricks. He can play. That, there's an inside linebacker, 109 tackles, a pick, two and a half sacks in his second year last season. I loved him coming out of UCLA, and I really like him now. The Vikings with Mike Zimmer as the head coach, of course, former D coordinator with the Bengals, that's a team that's going to stop people. They're going to get pressure. They don't have the blitz to do it. They can cover. It's just a matter of putting it all together for that team. And if the Vikings can put it together offensively, just to the tune of being league average, I think it's a nine or maybe even more likely a 10-win team. And they're the kind of team in a playoff game that would scare you because defensively they can shut you down. And you look at the regular season schedule this year for them. Start at home against the Saints, could certainly win there. At Pittsburgh, tough game. That'll be a litmus test to see where they're at. Then they come home, Tampa Bay, Detroit. At Chicago, home to Green Bay, home to Baltimore, at Cleveland. So those are the eight games you get before the bye week, which is perfectly placed week nine, middle of the season. I think we're going to know a lot about the Vikings by that bye week. You're going to know you got Cleveland in there. You got Baltimore at home, Chicago on the road, Detroit, Tampa. They could be a 6-2 and team. At that point, I'd like to at least see them 5-3. Any worse than that, I'm not a believer. Because later in the year, coming out of that bye, you have four out of those five first games, road games. Washington, home to the Rams, at Detroit, at Atlanta, at Carolina. Then you get home to the Bengals and at Green Bay. You finish at home against the Bears. I think if you're the Vikings, you better be at minimum five and three before the bye. And I'm really thinking six and two because you get five of your eight home games before the bye. And if, if you're behind the eight ball, Going into the latter portion of that schedule, that's rough. That's a tough ask. But I like Minnesota as a team that should compete for a playoff spot. And I think if things break right, that offensive line, again, not to beat the drum too much, but if it holds up, I think the Vikings could be a team that gives a lot of problems to a lot of people and could maybe even win a playoff game. So I don't think any more than that. They're not better than the Packers. I I don't think they're better than the Giants. I don't think they're better than Seattle. Don't think they're better than Dallas, although Dallas's defense does scare me a little, but I, I love the offense. But I think the Vikings could be a wildcard team, and I think they could really push somebody, maybe pull an upset in the postseason. With that being said, that is Stacking the Box for this week. want to thank you so much for joining us, for listening. Thank, of course, our guests, Mr. Hill, as always, and Eric Edholm. If you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes, give it a like, give it a rating. Unless you think it sucks, then don't rate it because that's not doing anybody any good and nobody needs that kind of negativity. That being said, thank you very much. Looking forward to week three of the preseason. Hopefully these teams stay healthy as we move forward. I am Matt Verderam. This has been Stacking the Box. Thank you for listening. Progressive presents today's to-do list for your dog. Check front door. Check window. Check other window. Rest chin on ground. Look into distance. Bark for no reason. 
Check front door, check window, check other window. Your pet has a very busy schedule, so it's up to you to make sure they're protected. That's why Progressive Car Insurance covers your pets for up to $1,000 if they're ever in a car accident with you. Chase shiny ball, lose shiny ball, find shiny ball, eat shiny ball. Get coverage for your pets with any auto policy from Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Coverage for cats and dogs included with a purchase of collision coverage and subject to policy terms. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.